What's up everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Da Vinci Cases. Alright, so the way this works is we've got a clinical case followed by a board style question. So we're going to go through the question stem, point out the relevant clinical findings, take a look at the question and the answer choices, and then kind of divert for a minute and go through the relevant concepts to answering the question. Then we'll come back and apply those concepts that we went over to answering the question. Alright, so for this case we've got a 67 year old man with a past medical history of hypertension, coronary artery disease, peripheral artery disease previous myocardial infarction with angioplasty and stenting, presenting to the emergency room with a one-month history of shortness of breath on exertion that has progressed to the point of occurring at rest. He's a 67-year-old man. He's an elderly man. So his age, coupled with his hypertension and previous history of coronary artery disease, peripheral artery disease, and previous MI, um, all cardiovascular risk factors. Um, so this guy's got heart disease. Uh, the fact that he had an MI and it had required uh, treatment with angioplasty and stenting means that he had pretty significant blockages. And now he's coming into us with a history of shortness of breath on exertion, continued to get worse, and has gotten worse to a point where now it's occurring even at rest. He doesn't even have to exert himself. Now, shortness of breath is not typically the presentation of, you know, again, another angina or another myocardial infarction, even though he's certainly at risk for those. Dyspnea on exertion or at rest is more so a symptom of congestive heart failure. Uh, it can also be COPD. Um, so those are some other uh, things on the differential. And there's, you know, other, that's a long differential. Those are kind of the two main things. The other things you could think about are, you know, anemia, for example. Uh, you could think about pulmonary embolism as well would also definitely be considered, especially in an emergency situation. Um, the thing is, though, pulmonary embolism tends to be more of an acute thing. So it's not so much that he, this would be happening over a one month. It'd be more like, say, a day or a few hours or so. Uh, his vitals in the emergency room are 37 degrees Celsius, so he's a febrile. Heart rate is 92, so he's definitely tachycardic. Blood pressure is 157 over 86. Now, he has a history of hypertension, so this isn't too surprising. And then his respiration rate is 23, which is a little bit high, and then his O2 sat is 86%, so he's definitely hypoxic. Uh, so this corresponds to his presenting symptoms and his history here. You know, shortness of breath, and it's definitely showing he's hypoxic. Uh, so this is a guy we got to get a na nasal cannula on and make sure we get him up above over 95. Physical exam is notable for an audible S3 heart sound, which typically corresponds to volume overload of the heart or congestion of the heart. Uh, distended jugular veins, if they're distended, they have fluid backing up into them, and it's a sign of right heart failure. So if you draw the heart like this, and you have your uh, chambers like this, and your valves like this. So if you remember, you have you know your SVC coming in here, and then you have your other veins coming out like this, and then your jugular veins that'll come up like that. And so if the right side of your heart is not pumping efficiently, you have backup of fluid you know, back into these veins, and what happens is that they distend. And so they'll distend and distend like that. Now, the most common cause of right heart failure is left heart failure. And so that likely is what the scenario is in this case. So he also has bilateral two plus pitting edema in the lower extremities. So same thing, you have the IVC coming down here, and eventually, you know, it bifurcates into uh, veins that go into the lower extremities. And so if you have 
ineffective pumping of the heart, you're going to have backlog of fluid into that, and you're not able to efficiently, you know, drain fluid from the lower extremity, so it builds up and you get edema. So this is all looking like this guy has congestive heart failure. So you get a transthoracic echocardiogram. Transthoracic's where they just put ultrasound probe on your chest versus a transesophageal where they actually stick it down uh, your esophagus. So it gets a transthoracic echocardiogram done in the ER and it reveals left ventricular ejection fraction of 25%. So this guy's in heart failure. Uh, that just confirms it for us right there. Both left and right heart failure, congestive heart failure. So he started on IV furosemide or Lasix for those of you who like the brand names in the emergency room. And this is very typical. Someone comes in with uh, decompensated heart failure like this. You start him on high dose IV diuretics to help essentially pull that volume off. He's guys, this guy's volume overloaded. He's short of breath. He's got pitting edema. He's got distended jugular veins. This guy's he's volume overloaded. We got to help his heart get rid of some of this extra fluid. And so you just give him IV diuretics to help him pee it off. This is a classic example of some of these questions where it goes on this whole thing with the clinical history and then the, the bottom line is which of the it's asking which of the following is a possible side effect of this patient's new medication. So it's asking which of these is a side effect of furosemide. So again the key findings we've kind of covered this already but just to briefly summarize elderly man with multiple cardiovascular risk factors presenting with worsening dyspnea on exertion and at rest that is found to be hypoxic on room air. Physical exam has an audible S3, distended jugular veins, and bilateral 2-plus pitting edema, all suggestive of acute decompensated heart failure. Echocardiogram confirms heart failure with a left ventricular ejection fraction of 25%. The patient is started on IV diuretic therapy to correct his volume overload. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break from the case right now to let you know that DaVinci Cases is brought to you by DaVinci Academy, which provides online video courses for the medical basic sciences. These courses are taught using a variety of teaching methods, including bullet point outlines, diagrams, radiology images, and chalk talks to explain the fundamental concepts. We then teach the application of those concepts to numerous clinical pearls that are frequently tested on medical school exams and the USMLE. Our video courses are available on our website, dviacademy.com, as monthly subscriptions starting at $9.99 per month. Each video course has a corresponding outline format textbook as well. You can find the link to our website in the description below. Also be sure to use the discount code DC20 to receive 20% off any of our video courses. Now back to the case. If we look at this figure here, this is a simple diagram of the nephron. You have your afferent arterioles here. And then you have your efferent here. And so the blood gets filtered here, obviously, in the uh, renal corpuscle and the glomerulus. And so then it gets filtered through, and then you have your urine here. And remember that your nephron is responsible for essentially controlling your electrolyte and fluid balance. And so you have a lot of reabsorption, obviously, that happens in the proximal convoluted tubule, but then you have some also as well that happen in these other segments. And so there's these different classes of diuretics that we use to block certain transporters in the nephron to help eliminate uh, water. And so the first class that we look at is a loop diuretic, which is actually what furosemide is. So a loop diuretic actually inhibits that sodium potassium chloride co-transporter in the thick ascending limb. So by especially blocking the reabsorption of sodium, what ends up happening is, is remember sodium follows water is you have you have more sodium, but you have more water as well that's getting excreted. You also have more potassium and more chloride, and so you can actually develop 
as we show here with the adverse effects of loop diuretics are hypokalemia. So you can develop that because if you're not reabsorbing as much potassium, you can develop low potassium because you're peeing more potassium off. You can also have dehydration because you're losing fluid. Ototoxicity, this is more a nature of the drug than necessarily its effect in the nephron. The drug, you know, remember we give these drugs either orally or intravenously, so they get circulated throughout the entire body. So they affect the ears as well. So you have ototoxicity. The boards actually really likes to ask about this, so keep this in mind. Metabolic alkalosis, interstitial nephritis, so it can affect the kidney tissue itself. It can also lead to gout. Also, patients with sulfa allergy are also can be allergic to loop diuretics. So you have thiazide diuretics as well. Those inhibit sodium and chloride reabsorption in the distal convoluted tubule. So again, it's the same concept. You're, you know, where sodium goes, water follows. So it's the same type of thing. These can have some, uh, a long list of actually of adverse effects that both have to do with blocking reabsorption of sodium and chloride, but also just the nature of the drug itself. So you can have hypokalemic, metabolic alkalosis. You can also have hyponatremia because you're not reabsorbing as much sodium. You can develop hypercalcemia, hyperuricemia, hyperlipidemia, and hyperglycemia as well. So those so thiazide diuretics can have a number of potential adverse effects. And then you also have potassium sparing diuretics, which can often be given in combination with one of these other ones. Say you, you want to avoid developing hypokalemia, you can give this in. Because what these drugs will do is they'll actually block aldosterone, because remember aldosterone comes into the collecting duct and stimulates the aldosterone receptor, which then upregulates transcription and production of these ENAC channels or sodium uh, reabsorption channels in the collecting duct. And so what happens is, is that by increasing those, aldosterone will increase sodium reabsorption and then increase reabsorption of water. So if you block aldosterone, or if you, and then you can also give medications that block these actual sodium channels themselves. So regardless, they're kind of all grouped together into this umbrella term of potassium sparing diuretics. Remember that aldosterone also, also stimulates potassium secretion. So by inhibiting potassium secretion, so remember aldosterone, we'll call it aldo, stimulates this. But by giving these drugs, you actually block potassium secretion. So by blocking potassium secretion, you kind of rebalance out that loss of potassium by using one of these other diuretics. Now, you can have some adverse effects as well. You can have hyperkalemia because you can cause retention of too much potassium. Too much potassium can lead to cardiac arrhythmias, unfortunately. Also, by blocking aldosterone, you can have certain endocrine effects uh, as well. You can have increased androgens. So you can have things like gynecomastia as well. Uh, so those are things to pay attention to. So if we come back to, you probably have figured out what the answer is, but we'll just go through these again. Uh, it's pretty simple. So again, which of the following is a possible side effect of this patient's new medication? And again, that new medication is IV furosemide, which is a loop diuretic. So if we look at this, hypokalemia is an adverse effect of loop diuretics such as furosemide, so that is likely our answer. Let's just go through the rest of these to confirm. Hypercalcemia is an adverse effect of thiazide diuretics. Hyperglycemia as well is also a side effect of thiazide diuretics. Hyperlipidemia is an adverse effect of thiazide diuretics. And then gynecomastia, like we were just talking about, is actually an adverse effect of the androgen effects of either spironolactone or aplerinone, which are those uh, aldosterone receptor antagonists uh, that are grouped into those potassium sparing diuretics. Uh, so you want to keep that in mind. 
to summarize this all up, this is a guy with significant cardiovascular history that develops decompensated heart failure and gets treated with IV furosemide, which is a loop diuretic. And one of the possible adverse effects of loop diuretics is hypokalemia. All right, that's all I have for you this time. Be sure to check out all the DaVinci Cases videos available on our YouTube channel and our website, dviacademy.com. The PDF notes for every DaVinci Cases is also available on our website. Also be sure to check out our podcast, The DaVinci Hour, where we interview attendings and residents across medicine to learn more about their experiences, their specialties, and to get their insights on navigating a career in medicine. You can find The DaVinci Hour podcast on our website or any platform where podcasts are found. Lastly, you can find all of our video courses and corresponding outline format books on our website. Don't forget to use the discount code DC20 for 20% off.